to Educate, the alternative classroom experience brought to you by me, Katie Conn, and this time I'm in my London living room. In this week's episode, we're going to be talking all about the quarter life crisis, and I am joined by the brilliant Melissa Steele, who has actually written a fictional novel called Bay for Pay, which is all about this particular topic. Welcome to the audio classroom, Melissa Steele. Thank you, Kate. Thank you so much for having me today. Honestly, I'm absolutely buzzing to learn all about the quarter life crisis because, if I'm completely honest, I think I need a bit of advice. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I think you know, if you, if you're not having one, what are you doing with your twenties? You know, it's 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 that sort of thing, isn't it? I think so. So. Could you just before we we kick start with everything, could you just sort of explain who you are, what brings you to educate, and then we'll kind of go into my first question. So over to you. Yeah, of course. So um, I'm an author. Uh, I've recently published my first novel, which is Bay for Pay, um, which is really about a lot of people in their 20s having that moment and going, what the hell am I doing with my life? How did I get here? And what on earth is going to happen next? And I think for some, and I think for something like educate, you know, um, it's it's something that a lot of people will go through in their twenties, and I think it's so useful for people to kind of have that yardstick of what's going on, what's happening, and yeah, how to cope with it, and how not to cope with it sometimes, as the case may be. Very true. Well, I have to say, I do feel like you give me that ring uh, last week, whenever it was, and you were like, look, I'm going to come on and teach you a lesson about the quarter life crisis. I did feel like a guardian angel was looking down on me. If there is a God, this is what this God has given me in the form of Melissa Steele. Well, thank you so much. I don't think I've ever been quite described as a guardian angel before. Like, you know, I wasn't one of those kids in the nativity that got one of those roles. It was like, you go back and be the donkey's (laughs) ass and like come back later. So... (laughs) I mean, that's a really big upgrade for me and I may put that on my CV, to be honest. Um, Yeah. Well, I'm really happy that I could provide you with that. So let's talk about what is a quarter life crisis, Melissa? Tell me about it. So I think a really good definition is uh, from this woman called Callie Rogers, because she literally wrote the book on it, um, Conquering Your Quarter Life Crisis, right? And she says it's that, (laughs) yeah, yeah, like does what it says on the tin. So um, she says it's that anxiety provoking period of time between building towards entering adulthood and into real full out adulthood. It's like the grown up version of puberty. Um, And I just think that's so true, um, mainly because if you're anything like me, you will still have acne and be really awkward. So, you know, it's all these sort of continuing (laughs) themes in your life. Um, But it's, yeah, it's that general period of, I think it's like when you, often when people leave uni or leave education and it's suddenly you're plopped into the big bad world and it's time to sink or swim. And people often have that moment of, oh my God, what am I doing? And I think it's not, it's not just for when you leave uni though. Um, you know, it's generally accepted that it starts like anywhere sort of between your mid-20s and, you know, early 30s. Some people say it only goes on to about age 25. But, you know, I mean, I'm 29 and I feel personally attacked by that statement. I'll tell you that right now. So, <laughs> I think a lot of people, when they experience it, it feels like it's just you. It feels like everyone else has got their shit together and you're the only one feeling alone or stressed or not, not no idea what you're doing with your life. But... um. 
LinkedIn, oh, well, LinkedIn, we, we know how much we can rely on that for everything. Uh, they say 75% of 25 to 33 year olds will experience a quarter life crisis. So we're not unique special snowflakes. Everyone else is experiencing it too. So yeah. Well, I mean, it definitely doesn't sound surprising that 75% of 25 to 33 year olds have experienced a quarter life crisis. It's a really, really tough time, especially leaving I guess educational institutions that are always telling you what's next what you should be aiming for and then the second you're you know freed <laughs> you fly the nest of where you know whether that's school or university I don't think that there are those structures in place that can actually I don't know guide you really to be honest like I, can, I can totally identify with that like I, all through uni you kind of you have your next module you have your next grade you have your next exam and then um yeah I remember going out into the real world and after finishing a master's and being like I'm so glad I can't wait to get a job like I'm so over education and then within about six months being like maybe I should apply for a PhD because you know that was I was good <laughs> at that like that was a time when I knew what I was doing and it's yeah it's just this like fear of like well what you know I just where's my structure like you know I've I've basically been let loose on the world what's next yeah and I think I think we all have it at some point really so yeah definitely I think I was very much in my third year at university really worried really anxious about getting a job like I, I just remember even before I'd graduated I think it was in the May before graduation in July and I, I was just desperate I really was like well I need I need a job because I want to stay in this city which is London the most an expensive city ever in the UK and you just put so much pressure on yourself. In your third year at university is, is so common especially when you see everyone else going on grad schemes doing this doing that being very clear about what they want to do with their life and there's kind of like this catastrophic feeling like if I don't do this too then I will surely end up penniless in a gutter because it's the only other option at this point it's either like you know sink or swim or I will be in Oliver Twist for the rest of my life and it's it's not that way but it's so hard not to think like that the sheer peer pressure of it unintentional but it's, it's what you see all around you why do you write about the quarter-life crisis what is it about this particular topic that really interests you well I think you know First, they say, write what you know. So I suppose there's that. Um, uh, but I always think it's like, it's a bit of a classic case of like, oh, you'll look back and laugh at all this one day. And that's something like, such like a thing your gran would say to you. But it's so true. Like, you know, when you're in the middle of all of it, it feels so, like we were saying, it feels like such a catastrophe and like nothing's ever going to be the same and that you're failing and, and all this. But it's like when you have a bit of distance from whatever particular episode you've had and god knows I've had a few like there's often funny <laughs> moments in it you know and you can look back and be like I can't believe we did that that was so that was so crazy that was so out there or you know just the sheer almost Bridget Jones hilarity of the situations you find yourself in so you know it's if you can't laugh at yourself then what can you do yeah 100 percent. easier said than done though isn't it you sometimes get those moments when you're in the shower or you're walking down the street and then suddenly you just almost feel like you're having like a heart palpitation of disgust and you're like, <gasps> you get a wave of sort of, I don't know, existential quarter life crisis dread and you're like, oh, I don't know what to do with myself. I mean, I feel quite jealous of all these people who can have, 
showers and and not be like you know showered with both water and dread at the same time you know like who sits there and is like oh, you know i'm having a i'm really pleased with my life right now it's all going quite well let's put head and shoulders in who are these people i don't know it's, um i think they just live inside um head and shoulders adverts to be honest and give off the illusion of perfection but there we go so for you with your research what are the kind of defining characteristics of a quarter-life crisis? So I think we've touched on one of the big ones, which is existential dreads, usually in the shower. Um, Sometimes on walks to nowhere too. That's another good place to feel your existential dread. Um, And I think sort of related to that, um, there's also feeling trapped, like you feel... I'm now stuck in this job until I die. There is no way out. It is that kind of feeling of this is it. Like this is all I'm, you know, ever going to do, or this is like I'll never get a job, or I'll never get on a master's, or you know, this kind of feeling of this is this is all you're going to do with your life. Um, I also think you know there's major sort of FOMO as well, especially in things like social media. You might see someone who you sat behind in school who's now got two kids and looks absolutely amazing, and you're sitting there going, "I can't even cultivate like the right bacteria for my sourdough at this point." You know, there's just this. <laughs> you feel there's a huge gulf perhaps between you and your peers. Um, you know, generally just wanting to return to the womb to a simpler time, frantically applying for grad schemes, um, teach first, law school. Those are other good ones. Often all at the same time. Uh, that's a really good hallmark of the quarter life crisis um i suppose writing a book about it in my case that's another good one um being a guest on podcasts about the quarter life crisis you know i don't know i think that might say something too (laughs) well you're very welcome on educate to talk all about it because it is something that i am absolutely sure that so many listeners can relate to past and present maybe even future, maybe you're on the cusp of one. I think everybody probably can relate to any of those symptoms in whatever form that might take. I do think social media has an awful lot to answer for in terms of thinking, crikey, like their job looks amazing. They look like they're, you know, progressing so quickly, but it's all a massive illusion. And then in terms of obviously your book, Bay for pay and I have to say really enjoyed delving in with a glass of wine and just you know letting all of my thoughts and your lovely words uh sort of amalgamate in my head I thought there was so much in there and so many good quotes that really do sum up this sort of quarter life crisis so I would like to just read these out I want to know your artistic process so oh just chilling you which usually covered everything from my wine purchase on Friday night to a subtle understatement of the full-blown existential crisis about what I was doing with my life that arrived like clockwork on Sunday night. I love it. Oh, thank you. I appreciate the chef's kiss there. I really do. Um, So, yeah, I think think for me, something with my writing is I know essentially that I am writing to people like me, so there is a lot of me in the characters. but I think also there's kind of that that license to kind of big it up and make it this whole other level so it becomes relatable to everyone. And I just sort of remember, you know, you talk with friends and things and you have you go from university where you have these really, really close relationships where you live with people, you live in each other's pockets and then you're in an office where, you know, sometimes you have close relationships and other places you're dead to people at 5pm and, you know, you have these conversations <laughs> that are like, you know, what are you up to the weekend? And, you know, some people are really quite curious. Other people could not give a shit what you're up to at the weekend, you know. And, um, you know, so you kind of just sort of fall into this this pattern of, 
I'll just just say I'm just chilling because then like you know they, they don't give a shit I don't give a shit there we go like we've covered it and we can move on so um it's one of those things I felt like you know when you talk to your friends it's one of those things people kept saying and there's almost you have so much still going on though like you know if you're feeling all these feelings of dread and quarter life crisis you know you don't really want to sort of spill your guts to anyone and everyone who asks what you're up to the weekend so you're trying to almost camouflage all this as well absolutely and I think there's also a lot to be said of that cyclical nature of getting through the working Monday to Friday week getting that Friday feeling which of course we see in your fabulous book with the weekly trip to the local craft wine shop you kind of have the Friday night where you're thinking yeah let my hair down woohoo maybe I'll have a drink maybe I'll just live my life Saturday you're living your life but you're like ooh tomorrow's the last day and then you have the sunday scaries that kick in with with a vengeance so yeah and i feel it is it is a sort of work-life pattern that is so easy to fall into and especially when you do work nine to five and things like that you're you know you know dolly parton did sing about it for a reason and um yeah it is very it's very cyclical um it's definitely one way of putting it to another one of your quotes oh and here's a christmas card for you i said nonchalantly as i left feeling very proud of myself then petrified then mortified then made everard munch scream faces to myself once i reached the main street and knew that they couldn't see me anymore that that i love it i love that because when i heard that well when i heard it when i read that i immediately thought of when you post something that's maybe a bit, you know, out there on Instagram or you perceive it's a big deal or whatever. And then suddenly you're like, yeah, woohoo, go me. And then suddenly, oh no, oh no, what have I done? And that's what I thought. And I can assume that a lot of 20 somethings would relate to that too. (laughs) Yeah, and I I think that's definitely it. It's whether you've ever sent that drunk text or whether you've ever been like, I am going to talk about all this on Instagram and it'll be amazing. And the but you do have this fear whenever you put yourself out there like that. And I feel it's something for me that, um, especially with writing, like it's not one of these things that people often talk about that they do a lot. So when you start, when I started telling people that I was writing, you know, you'd kind of brace yourself for people to be like, oh, really? But you'd be like, I've been so empowered and I've told people still, but you'd still have this then dread come over you of, um, oh, well, what do, what are they going to think of me? What does this mean? You know? I mean, that does ring true as well in a way for this podcast. When I started it and I kind of had this idea that I wanted to create a lovely platform on the, uh, on the old audio sphere. And I think you have that moment and you go, well, I really want to do this. This is something I'm really passionate about. And you kind of put out your first episodes or you say something and you think, oh, is that a bit, you know, is that a bit too revelationary about X, Y, Z? Or do I really want people to know that about me or my my thoughts there? And actually, you do go from that thing of feeling empowered about something and then you quickly go, oh, no, the episode's out now. Are people actually going to like it? And it's there's so much self-doubt that goes with it. It's a big old uh, tricky game, isn't it? That old self-doubt. It is, especially when you do something outside the norm, which is often when, you know, if you're having a bit of a quarter life crisis is what you want to do. Often it's going, I want to take a different path now. And it's often what holds people back a lot of the time as well is that that fear and anxiety of what will people think of me if I express this or express wanting to do something different, really. So is the quarter life crisis a new phenomenon? Talk to me about the history of that. 
Yeah, so I mean, I don't think it's a new phenomenon. I think it's definitely having a moment right now. Um, but I think, you know, if you look back over previous generations and media and things, there's stuff like the film The Graduate, I think that came out maybe the late 1960s. Um, and if you don't know what that is, it's that film with Dustin Hoffman on the film poster looking through like a lady's leg and he's like, ooh, what's going on here? Very, very 1960s. Um, but yeah, basically oh most most of that film is he graduates uni and looks off into the, the distance, like looking a bit desperate and confused for most of it. Um, so it's definitely not... <laughs> It's definitely not a new thing um, by any stretch of the imagination, really. It's one of those things that's probably having more of a moment just now because there's, you know, there's so many um, millennials and Gen Z and things like that making media that we now can consume Mm -hmm. and um, reflect our own experiences more so now, maybe. Definitely. And do you think that millennials, I guess because we are big, chatty, often oversharers, some might argue, what kind of role do they have in in shaping this narrative of the quarter-life crisis? Yeah, so I think, you know, like you've said, we're sort of very, very well known for for oversharing. I think, you know, any generation that puts, that we're used to put 40 photos of one bloody night out on social media is, you know, kind of... (laughs) guilty um but you know there's you know there's a natural inclination we've lived on our social media platforms for so long now we've lived um you know we've often been encouraged at some point to explore more creative outlets and things like that so I think there is this this big push you know to put yourselves out there and be reflected perhaps more so than if you look like maybe a generation or a couple of generations ago like the midlife crisis was a big thing in media um, and you know perhaps that was because you know you had a lot more middle-aged white men running the show at that point so you know we had a lot of narratives that were like essentially I'm having midlife crisis oh poor me I'm having such a hard time being pursued by young younger ladies and buying fast cars you know and I don't think that's necessarily like something we can all relate to you know whereas <laughs> you know you see more books and tv shows now like you know Queenie and girls and stuff like that which are much more drawn about a much more female and younger experience of crisis. Mm, Absolutely and do you think that with social media being able to show you so many different realities rather than how it was for example 20 years ago before social media do you think that having more options I guess in terms of finding out about jobs and other people's realities. Do you think that that induces this sense of, oh, there's just so much. Am I doing the right thing? Could I be happier doing this? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a bit of a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because it's, it's really overwhelming in one way when you see all these other things that you could be doing and what is possible um, that maybe if you just graduated 20 years ago, you would have never had any idea about. But, you know, I'd like to also think that it can be inspiring in the right in the right hands as well. That you know, there's someone out there and they've gone ahead and done this. And you know, that's something I try to do with my social media. Is I don't want someone to look at my social media and go, oh, like you know, oh, I wish I could do that. I'll never be able to do that. I want someone to look at it and go, not to be like self-deprecating, um, but if she can do it, like you know, if Melissa can do it, then maybe I could give it a go. Maybe I could put myself out there and do that. So, do you ever have those moments when you're like, you know, maybe frying an egg, doing whatever, doing some yoga, and then you're like, I self-published and I wrote a novel. Yeah, I think though, I definitely do have those moments. Um, I think it's one of those things you do you do notice, um, especially now a few months out from the fact that 
you're like, oh shit, yeah, I actually did that and it was a big thing. Um, especially considering maybe a year or two ago I was like quite secretive about my writing. I didn't really talk about it much because I felt, you know, there might be a lot of judgment around it and to go from that to, you know, self-publishing a book. Um, and, you know, I think self-publishing can get a bit of a bad rap sometimes. You know, everyone has that one weird uncle who's self-published their their fantasy novel about dragons having sex with aliens or something but it can be a force for good as well you know you can write about things that actually people can relate to so obviously you have self-published that is quite a big deal to step into an already massive machine that's been going for years what's kind of changed in society that kind of allows people to have that confidence to move forward I'm I'm loving the revolutionary tone your question took there, Kate. Um, but I think, you know, things have changed a lot for even in maybe one or two generations. Um, I think, first of all, if we look at all these listicles that we constantly get told about where it's millennials are killing this, that and the next thing, if you look at all the stuff we're apparently killing off, it's always like golf and diamonds and marriage. And, you know, these are all quite sort of status symbols from a previous generation and there's more freedom to, I think, reject those lifestyles and things now and say, Mm -hmm. choose things that matter to you more that maybe are less consumerist or maybe more consumerist, whatever floats your boat. Like, that's totally up to you. Um, Yeah. And I think, you know, that's reflected if you look at a lot of the the statistics and things from the last few years on on how we value different institutions. Like, um, marriage rates are down 45% since 1972, according to the Office of National Statistics, which... That's crazy. And I guess also in tandem with that, divorce rates have also skyrocketed too. <laughs> I'm not a statistician, but that sounds... Uh, yeah, it's not doing too well. <laughs> that sounds about right to me. That sounds about right to me. Maybe you'd like to have, have a guess at this. So what do you think the first time birth age for mothers was in Scotland in 1991 I honestly don't know um 1991 I'm saying oh it's gonna be like mid-20s isn't it is it mid-20s 20 27 how how I'm still a baby like this is you know (laughs) um basically the latest statistic was I think 2018 and it's now 31 so if you think of that big life chunk people are now moving forward you know like I I was born in 91 and I think my mum was like 25 and married and living in suburbia and like you know I'm like 29 now living in sin and I think my pets are my children and you know like (laughs) and like I think I would have an allergic reaction if I went near suburbia so you know it's just it kind of shows you how much you know what we place value on has changed or you know sometimes that is the right thing for people but it doesn't have to be it would be uncommon to choose that way of life in the past I think but now people are choosing it more so yeah absolutely In terms of the quarter-life crisis with this, I think you often are stuck between a rock and a hard place, perhaps. I don't know if that's perhaps the right phrase to use here, but, you know, there are people around you that are really settling down with partners. Then, you know, your other friend might be living their best life, you know, best single life of similar ages. Some people might be founding businesses. Some people might be travelling the world. It's kind of great that feminism has progressed. Also with that, some people that have made certain choices that are absolutely fine that stick with those kind of binary narratives of uh, you must stay at home to look after and nurture children, blah, blah, blah. And then there are also other choices that kind of really don't go with that. And both choices are absolutely fine. And that's what feminism gives you, allowing yourself to make those choices with no judgment. But I do think with the quarter-life crisis, 
you know, if you are settled down, you might sort of have that thing of, oh my God, like everyone's having a wild time around me. Like, should I be doing that? <laughs> Am I a failure? I agree. Like, I think they're like, you know, especially if you, if you have chosen to, you know, start a family younger and things, it must be really like like a bit of an out-of-body experience to see everyone putting up stories where they're you know getting smashed at the weekend and doing this that and living with no responsibility it must be like you know everyone I think the thing is is everyone has that fear of missing out about the other lifestyle and part of it's human nature and it's always it's not that the grass is greener but you know we would like to go and you know see what the colour the grass is sometimes. I guess that kind of answers my next question in a way about you know how do you or it starts to answer anyway how do you get out of a quarter life crisis? Obviously I know you're writing about it and you're happy to say you know I've been through a quarter life crisis but what was your process of kind of coming to terms with with experiencing that and moving forward and getting out of it? I think first of all whether I am completely out of it that maybe that's you know something for debates but I think that there's um you know I think something that really helped me was leaning into it and accepting that I was going through something and that it was an opportunity for for growth and change as well um so it doesn't have to be you know you are going through a crisis but sometimes you come out of a crisis stronger or you come out of a crisis with a different perspective on things um and I think you know the times I found it much more difficult was when I was not pretending nothing was wrong but kind of going well you know this is just life and this is you know I'll just sort of bury that and I'll you know that'll be fine I think that's when it makes it worse whereas if you can sort of have that honest conversation with yourself about maybe you don't know what you want to do but maybe you want to try other things maybe you need to you know speak to speak to someone who's more professional to help you through it you know there's there's lots of different avenues people choose but you know, being, I think starting having the conversation with yourself is the most important point. And I think that that conversation that you have with yourself is actually quite confronting, quite difficult, especially if you've been working towards something and, you know, maybe you think that this is what you wanted to do and you kind of spend a couple of years dipping your toes in that particular area and then you might go, no, actually, I'm not sure about this. Like, I'm not sure about where I'm at right now. And I think it's quite difficult and confronting to have those thoughts. And I think it takes a lot of courage to, you know, listen to that nagging feeling or your gut and go, wow, what's happening? And I think sometimes it's it's so easy to forget that, you know, you're you're only sometimes a few years into a career. And that sounds like you might have invested a lot and that's really you know, it's, it can be difficult to detach from that. But at the same time, just because you've invested two or three years in something doesn't mean you have to invest the next 30. Like, you know, it's there's there gets to a point where you go, right, okay, well, maybe you'll look back on something in 10 years and be like, oh, that was an interesting career for a couple of years, but I've been doing this other thing for 10 years now. And, you know, you just never know unless you take that chance. But, you know, obviously you have to look into all your options and stuff, but there's so many options out there now. And you know, we should try and take advantage of what we can, I suppose. It's really scary. So to see somebody and to hear from somebody like yourself, who's actually gone through and come out the other side of it and has written a really good book and is, you know, prioritising your interests and your passions, I think it's just inspiring. No, no, and then, you know, thank you. That's, that's really nice to hear that. And I think like you know we have so many platforms out there now and I think what you you know just see what you're doing is also great and um demystifying so much and I'm glad to be a part of demystifying something that can seem like a big bloody mystery a lot of the time as well so yeah somebody out there might be walking their dog they might be having a cheeky run maybe a little snooze in the park and maybe we're just chatting away in their ears 
letting something light up in their brain and go, oh yeah, oh cool. They might be having that existential shower we talked so much about earlier and having it on in the background and they're like, it's not just me. (laughs) They're like, I feel seen. I feel like I've been read. (laughs) Well, honestly, thank you so much for getting in touch and coming on and speaking to me and making my heart feel happy. I'm I'm so glad Kate thank you so much for having me too it's been brilliant and I'm going to put a link to wherever Bay for Pay can be purchased for any listeners that are needing a fabulous new read where can people buy that Uh, so you can buy it on Amazon or from my website which is buymelissasteel.com or type wronger books as well fabulous well link will be in the bio and thank you so much and thank you Melissa, thank you so much for coming on to Educate and teaching me all about the quarter-life crisis. If you've enjoyed listening today and have stepped into the audio classroom for the first time, please make sure that you subscribe to Educate wherever you're listening. And if this isn't your first Educate Rodeo, then I would absolutely love it if you would give me an A-plus review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening, to be honest. Make sure to follow me on socials at educate underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Have a lovely week and thanks again for tuning in to the audio classroom.